And we have seen God do some amazing, amazing things over the past few months. And I just want to reiterate what I said in the video uh, and, and really encourage you to take some time out of your day at some point today and to look at that document we've provided, okay? Uh, this document has several of the wins and highlights from the last uh, a few months, the third quarter. You can find it on the app as soon as you open it up. It's right there. Or you can visit us online at crosspointcity.com and read it. But whatever you do, just look at it, okay? Um, there's some stuff I want you to see and, and you need to see it so that you can continue to celebrate um, either personally or with your family or your friends what God is doing through the church, all right? Well, awesome. You guys doing well? Okay, well, it's good to see you. Here's what I want to do. Um, I got a text just a few minutes ago. Some of you guys know that we have a missionary family in Burkina Faso, West Africa. We sent them out, I want to say back in August. And so Joel and Amanda Griffin, they're about my age, two young daughters. And I just got a text from Joel just a little bit ago. And he said, uh, really torn today, just feeling the tension of wanting to be there with you guys, but being here in Burkina and, uh, but he had a great perspective. He said, but being here, it's put in perspective that Burkina Faso nor the United States of America is my home. And so they're grateful to be doing kingdom work, but they're just kind of feeling the tension of being away. And so I just thought before we dive into the word that we would stop and pray for them together. So can we do that? Awesome. Join me. Father, uh, I just want to lift up, God, our, our friends, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are a part of this family, God, Joel and Amanda and Maddie and Sophia and we just pray for their hearts today more than anything. Um, God, that as they feel the tension of being far, far from home, God, that they would also at the same time feel your presence, uh, feel your love, feel our prayers. Um, God, I just pray that you'd strengthen them today. God, that uh, you would let them experience your grace and mercy today in a very life-giving way. And even right now as we're praying for them, um, I pray that they would begin to sense uh, God, their, their strength rising, that, that their family, God, their church family, all the way from the other side of the world is, is holding them up with our prayers. And so, God, would you just continue to bring them to our minds regularly so that we can call on you and ask on their behalf for whatever it is they need. Thank you for their courage. Thank you for their faith, that they would leave everything behind and just follow you. And so, uh, God, may their faith challenge ours today. Thank you for them. And just pray you continue to use them in a mighty, mighty way. Um, God, as we open your word now, would you just go to work on us? Uh, use your word to speak to us today in very clear ways. And we trust that you will. God, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, if, uh, if you're new to our church or newer to our church, we've been in a series this entire year in the book of Mark. And just two weeks ago, we started in Mark chapter 11. This is the chapter where Jesus finally enters the city of Jerusalem and he begins his last week of earthly ministry. So over the last two Sundays, we've talked about what happened on Sunday of that week, what happened on Monday of that week. We've started talking about Tuesday, but today we're getting back into the Tuesday conversation. So if you have a Bible with you or some type of device, uh, go to Mark chapter 12 with me. Mark chapter 12. Well, I've heard it said, and, and maybe you have too, that if you want to keep your friends, there are three things you should never talk about. Politics, religion, and money. Yet some of you guys, you're already nodding your head, so you, you get that, right? Well, listen, apparently Jesus either never heard that 
or he wasn't too concerned with losing friends because in our passage for today, he actually talks about all three. If you're already in Mark 12, look at verse 13 and we'll check this out together. Here's what Mark tells us. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, teacher, we know that you're true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. And then they ask this question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? So we'll stop there and talk, all right? Uh, If you've been here over the last couple weeks, you know that since arriving in Jerusalem, Jesus has had some major run-ins with the religious leaders of his day. Uh, Run-ins that left them wanting to arrest him and destroy him, yet out of fear, right? They feared the very people who loved Jesus and were following him. They haven't acted upon that just yet. And so what we see in our text for today is them developing and devising this new strategy. You know, they think maybe if we send some other groups to question Jesus, Jesus and challenge Jesus, we can catch him saying something really unbiblical, really blasphemous, and we can use his words against him to get rid of him. And so in verse 13, we see the first two groups coming, right? These were the Pharisees and the Herodians. And I'll tell you a bit about them, all right? The Pharisees first, they were the most influential religious group during this time. Like when it came to church and religion, I mean, they killed it, knocked it out of the park. Perfect Sunday school attendance. Um, These were the guys who never said a cuss word in their entire lives, right? Bible drill champions. They were awesome at all things religion, They were committed to the Old Testament uh, law, the Mosaic law. They worked really, really hard day in and day out to appear righteous and holy before both God and man, which also caused them to be very anti-Rome. You see, during this time in history, Israel was occupied and ruled by the Roman Empire. And so the Pharisees, because they wanted to appear holy, uh, they stayed away from culture. They stayed away from Roman ideals, Roman government, and the like. Well, the Herodians, on the other hand, were avid supporters of Rome. In fact, they took their name from a guy named Herod Antipas, who was a Roman governor during this time. Like, they were completely bought in. Loved the Roman government, loved Roman culture, loved Roman values. And I tell you that so that you would understand that these two groups coming together, like, this was a really odd couple. Really odd. It's almost like the NRA and PETA holding a benefit dinner together, you know? Like, that odd. Um... I'll give you another one. It's like Georgia and Auburn fans uniting. For, was it too soon? Was that too soon? Okay, I'm sorry. Listen, all of the Georgia fans in the room, and I like our dogs, okay? We'll have our prayer team down front before the, if you need prayer, they'll be here after the gathering, all right? But, but again, listen, strange coupling here. Like no reason for them to come together. These two groups did not agree on anything except the fact that they hated Jesus, And they hated Jesus because he was a threat to them. And so what we find is them joining forces and they approach Jesus in hopes of trapping him. That word trap that you see in the text, it's the same Greek word that was used when someone attempted to trap or capture a wild animal. And if you've ever attempted to trap or capture a wild animal, you know the first thing you need is what? Is bait, right? And that's where they go. They attempt to bait Jesus. And I'll show you the bait they use. Uh, The bait came in the form of empty flattery. In other words, they tried to butter Jesus up. Here's what they say. Oh, Jesus, you're so true, and you don't care about anyone's opinions. You're not swayed by appearances, and and we just want you to know that we know that you truly teach the way of God. Now, would you look at this list for a moment and answer this question? 
are these things true about Jesus? Say yes. Okay, yes, they're all true about Jesus, right? Um, number one, he is true. He claims this of himself in John 14, 6. He says, I am the truth, meaning Jesus is the one who reveals what's true about God. Right, if you showed up today and this church thing's new to you, this Bible thing's new to you, and you're wondering who God is, all you need to do is look at Jesus. Jesus is what's true about God. Secondly, he obviously didn't care about anybody's opinion. We've seen that through the entire book of Mark so far, right? I love this. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus wrapped himself in flesh and came to live among us, he came with a very simple and very clear mission. It's a mission found in Luke 19.10. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And he was so committed to that mission that it didn't matter what people said. It did not matter what people did. He would not be deterred. Number three, again, he obviously wasn't swayed by appearances. I mean, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse seven tells us that the God we came to worship today does not look at the outward appearance of man, but he's only concerned with the heart. And haven't we seen that to be so true throughout the book of Mark, if you've been here? I mean, Jesus could care less about people's religious behavior, right? What he's wanted all along, and it's still true today, are the hearts of his followers. And then finally, it's very, very clear when you pay attention to the words of Jesus that he absolutely teaches the way of God, God's way of life, God's, God's order, God's creation design. Now, the reason I call your attention to this is really, really simple. I, I want you to see something. I want you to see that it is entirely possible to say what's true about Jesus and still have no faith in Jesus. Are you tracking with me, 10 o'clock? You're alive out there? Yes? Look, it's entirely possible to have all the facts right and still not be following him. That's what we see in our text. These men come to Jesus and and they say all these true things, not because they loved him, not because their faith was in him, not because they were following him. Again, this was all empty flattery. They said what was true about Jesus to Jesus in hopes of manipulating him. They wanted him to let his guard down just enough that he might slip up and say something that they could then use against him. And so with this bait before him, they set the trap. And the trap comes in the form of a question. Again, the question they ask, it's really simple. Hey, Jesus, we want to know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? So in other words, they were asking, according to the law of God, right? according to what God says in the Old Testament law, should we pay taxes to Caesar or should we not. Now, this tax that they asked about, it's really important for you to know this, uh, it was a, a specific tax known as the head tax or the poll tax. This was a flat tax that every Jew had to pay every year to Rome, both to support the empire and to enjoy the perks and privileges of the kingdom. So it didn't matter how rich you were or how poor you were, everybody paid the same thing. The price for the tax was one denarius which was the day's wage for an average worker during this time in history. And so they asked Jesus, is it, is it okay to pay that? Now you have to understand, the context is important. The Jewish people hated this tax because of what it represented. You see, they always loved to think of themselves as the free people of God, but at this point in history, that simply was not true. Um, in fact, them living under the rule of other nations, it goes far beyond the days of Jesus. In 586 BC, the Babylonian empire actually invaded Judah, the southern kingdom, and they conquered the city of Jerusalem. 
And after conquering the city and destroying it, they captured many of the people living there, the Jewish people, and forced them into captivity. Ever since that time, the nation of Israel lived under the rule of foreign nations. And during this time in history, they lived under the foreign rule of Rome. And so every time they paid that tax, they were forced to remember that. We are still living in bondage to this foreign nation. Now, here's what Jesus knew in light of that. And here's where we see the trap. Jesus knew if I say yes, yes, you guys should pay the tax, that he was in trouble with the people. Because again, the people couldn't stand Rome. They hated this tax. They were living each day under Roman oppression. And so if Jesus said, yeah, pay the tax, it's like he was siding with this foreign corrupt entity, right? On the other hand, if Jesus said, no, don't pay the tax, he was in trouble with the government. I mean, they could literally label him an insurrectionist, have him arrested on the spot for attempting to incite a revolt. And so I think that these two groups are probably in this moment thinking to themselves, oh yeah, we got him. No way Jesus is getting out of this one, yet Jesus in his brilliance, he proves otherwise. Go back to the text and I'll show you this. Look at verse 15. Verse 15, but knowing their hypocrisy, Don't you love that? Jesus always knows when we're living as hypocrites, doesn't he? They're pretending, they're faking, you know, they're they're, they're not asking because they think I'm the person they just described me to be. They're a bunch of hypocrites. Knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they say back to Jesus, it's Caesar's. And then Jesus says, this is the point of this passage we're in today. So if you're writing in your Bible, underline this phrase. He goes on and he makes the point, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at Jesus. So I I love this. Here they are thinking they've trapped him. And Jesus answers their question by saying to them, "Um, bring me a denarius. You know that little coin that you guys pay the tax with that you're asking me about? Go get one and bring it to me and let me look at it. And so they go grab a coin and and they bring it to Jesus. And I wanna show you a picture of what he would have looked at, all right? This is a denarius. And we'll have it on the side screens as well so you can see it a little better up there. Um, But on the front side of this coin, there was a stamped image of Tiberius Caesar. This was the Caesar in Rome during the time of Jesus. He ruled from about AD 14 to about AD 37. There was also an inscription on the front side of this coin that read, son of the divine Augustus. You see, at this point in in human history, Roman Caesars were often equated with divinity. And so they were treated and worshiped as gods. And so this coin literally said, son of God. And then when you flipped it over on the back, there was another inscription that read chief priest or high priest. Now, look, this is another reason the Jewish people hated this tax so much. They hated this tax because every time they paid it, they basically paid with what was a portable idol. Uh, If you've ever seen the list of the Ten Commandments before, you know that God gave his people two commandments right up top, have no other gods before me and don't make any carved or graven images. Every time they had to pay their tax to Rome, they had to break out this graven image that extolled this man, this this mortal man as some type of God. And in essence, by returning it to Rome, they were in a way honoring Tiberius Caesar. They hated the tax. Now, here's what I find so interesting. 
these men in the text who supposedly hated this coin and all that it represented and stood for, they had one. Jesus didn't have one, but they had one. And by forcing them to go get a coin and to bring it back to him, Jesus was basically exposing their hypocrisy. You see, he was forcing them to recognize, guys, by having one of these coins, um, you've basically answered your own question. You're using Caesar's money and you're enjoying the perks and privileges of his kingdom. And by doing so, you're not only acknowledging his authority over your life, but also your obligation to pay your taxes. You see, this would be like you coming to me after the gathering and going, James, hey, uh, let me ask, should I pay taxes to the local and or federal government? And then I ask you, well, do you use money printed by the U.S. Treasury? Do you send your kids to public schools? Do you ever take your family to public parks? You ever called the cops? You ever called the fire department? Do you ever drive on public roads and interstates? And, and you say back to me, well, James, absolutely, I do all of those things. Well, haven't you answered your own question? Right, by using U.S. money and enjoying the perks and privileges that our local and federal governments offer us, you are not only acknowledging government's authority in your life, but also your obligation to pay your taxes. Listen, just in case these two groups of men in our text miss that, Jesus makes it very, very clear to them. And he makes it clear, I love this, by asking about the inscription and likeness on the coin. And in asking about this inscription and likeness, he's teaching a, a critical, a very critical principle that we cannot miss. Here it is if you're taking notes. Jesus is pointing out for these men in relation to the coin that the image on it reveals who owns it. That the image on it reveals who owns it. Hey, uh, whose inscription and likeness is on the coin? That's the question. And they answered back and they said, Caesar's. Jesus' point was simple. All right, well, since his image is on it, he owns it. And what you need to do is render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Now, that word render that you see in our text, the Greek word that it comes from literally means to pay back a debt. You pay an owner what is owed to them. And so the idea is not, hey, freely give what belongs to you to someone else. No, Jesus is saying, Caesar owns that coin. And since he's the owner, you should pay it back to him. Now, don't miss this. Jesus goes on in that same statement to teach us that this same principle applies to God. I want you to think about this with me. Where do we see the image or the likeness of God? Where do we see it? But all I'm hearing is, so let me tell you, okay? We see the image and the likeness of God on us. Isn't this what the Bible teaches? All the way back in the beginning, Genesis 1, 27, that in the beginning, God created them male and female. And when he created them, he created them in his image. Why? Well, we're made in the image of God to live in this world as image bearers, as people who reflect the glory and character of God to the world, all for the honor and glory of God. And so think about this, because that's true, because God created you and he put his image on you, well, who owns you? God, right? And so what should we do? Well, according to Jesus, we should render to God what is God's. Now, what I wanna do for the rest of our time together is just get really, really practical 
And I want to talk about this pronouncement from Jesus in the text. And I want to teach in detail what it means for our lives today. And so if you're busy taking notes, I want you to get ready to write some stuff down, okay? The first thing that Jesus is teaching here is this. That as his people, we should give to government what is government's. And don't you dare pack up and leave yet, all right? You need to hear this, okay? Again, as the people of God, we give to government What is government's? When Jesus says to these two groups, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, he's reminding us of of two big things. Number one, that human government has legitimate authority in our lives. Now look at me, it's limited authority, but it is legitimate authority. He is also reminding us, secondly, that you and I as citizens have a responsibility to obey human government. And please don't misunderstand me, all right? What we don't do is put our hope in human government. Uh, We don't look to governing authorities as some type of savior figures, right? Uh, There's one savior for all of us, and his name ain't Donald, amen? (laughs) Praise Jesus. One savior, and it's Jesus Christ, the Lord. So we don't put our hope in them. We don't look to them to save us. And some of us need to hear this because we get way too caught up in the political landscape. Things are going great, our our hope is way up. Things are really bad, our hope is way down. It shouldn't be like that. All of our hope is in one person, right? Jesus Christ the Lord. But at the same time, hear me, we as his people have a responsibility to obey human government. And the reason for that is really simple because God is the one responsible for establishing and instituting human government. Now, this might mess some of your theology up, but it's in the Bible, so maybe your theology needs to be messed up, all right? That truth is seen all throughout the scriptures. And one of the clearest places that it's seen is in Romans chapter 13. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Rome, and I wanna show you what he says. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist, this is harsh, will incur judgment. And then Paul goes on in verse six, and he says this, for because of this, you also pay taxes. Um, It's biblical. Should I pay my taxes, James? Yes, you should pay your taxes. For the authorities are ministers or servants of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed. Honor to whom honor is owed. Now, let's have a moment of honest confession, can we? Some of us are pushing back, aren't we? James, if, if Paul knew what we were dealing with today, he wouldn't have written those words. And listen, I get it. Like I spent a lot of time reading the news every week and, and reading some of the political news this past week reminded me of just how corrupt some of our governing authorities are. They're not all that way. Some of them are great godly men and women, but there are others who are very immoral, very corrupt. They do despicable, manipulative things, right? Um, so again, if we're pushing back, here's what I need you to know. While I understand the pushback, there's still a commandment in place. Paul wrote this at the time when a guy named Nero was ruling over Rome. If you don't know Nero, you need to go Google his name this afternoon and read about him. Uh, He's on a very short list of the most awful human beings who who have ever lived, okay? Uh, Nero's name right next to Hitler's name. 
If you're looking for baby names, don't name them either of those because they were awful human beings. Yet, look at me, yet Paul writes and he says, obey the governing authorities. Why? Because all authority comes from God. And nobody made it into their position of authority without God instituting them in that position. Now, would you look up here for just a minute? Because I know that creates some tension in some of us. It does in me, at least. I don't want to act like I, as your pastor, understand how all that works. Like, how in the world do we reconcile the sovereignty of God with the fact that there have been very, very evil rulers in positions of authority throughout history? Again, I don't want to act like I understand all that. All I know is that God is sovereign. He is always in control. Nothing in our world happens that, that he didn't first have passed through his hands. Like nothing catches him by surprise. But I also know that as human beings, we are responsible for what we do. And so these people who've been placed in positions of authority throughout the history of the world, they will one day stand before the sovereign God and king of the universe and answer for how they use their authority that he gave them. Again, I don't want to act like I know how it all works because I don't and you don't and nobody does because here we are sinful, finite creatures trying to understand a holy, transcendent, infinite God and it never works. I just know from our scripture that we're looking at today that according to Jesus and according to Paul, we have a responsibility to obey governing authorities even when they're not so admirable. And so the question is, how do we do that? Well, Paul makes it real practical. He says, pay your taxes, start there, um, respect those in office, and even if you can't respect them personally, you can at least respect the office, yes? And then finally, Paul says, you should honor them. Now, I think one of the greatest ways we can honor our governing authorities today is by praying for them. You just get on your knees and you pray. Can you imagine what God might do if we as the people of God would stop complaining so much and we'd start praying more? You think some things might change? God, break that dude's heart. Help him not to be so arrogant. God, would you create peace in that relationship? Like instead of getting on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram and just venting and ranting about all that's wrong with other people, what if we got on our faces and we asked God to do a work in their lives that only he could do? You think he might change some stuff? Maybe. But worst case scenario, even if he doesn't change them, he might just change you. And I think it's worth it at that point to get on our faces and, and pray. Now, before we move on, um, I want to answer one final question that I know some of you might be asking, and it's this. Well, James, what if our government officials ask us to do something that opposes or contradicts God? Simple answer. You obey God every time. You see, you were not made in the image of government. You were made in the image of God. Government is not your ultimate master. God is your ultimate master, right? This is why Paul says you don't submit to the governing authorities as masters, but as, as ministers. God's delegated authority to them. So you submit to God by submitting to them. But if they do something that defies God or opposes God, God wins every single time. And that takes me right into point number two. Um, first, Jesus reminds us that as his people, we give to government what is government's. But then secondly, we give to God what is God's. We give to God what is God's. So the question is, what is God's? What is God? Like, what do we owe him? If we're supposed to render or pay back to God what he owns, like what in the world do we pay back? Well, let's go back to our principle that we talked about a few moments ago. The image on it reveals who 
owns it, right? And so God's image is on you, right? And so that reveals that who owns you? Well, since that's the case, if God truly owns you, then what do you owe God? Everything. You owe him everything. You owe him your full allegiance. You owe him every ounce of who you are as a human being. Every bit of you, that's what you owe your entire life. You see, I need you to understand today that God doesn't want a portion of you. He wants all of you. This was the problem with the Pharisees. They gave God a portion. They gave God their religious checklist. They gave God their religious behavior. But they never gave God their full allegiance. They gave God all this outward stuff while never giving him their hearts. And what's so unfortunate is so many people still do the same thing today. Right? They think, okay, what do I need to give God? Well, um, I'll give him a little bit of my church attendance. And I'll give God a little bit of my time and maybe serve some people. And, and maybe I'll give God a little bit of my money here and there. Uh, I'll set all the presets in my car to 104.7 the fish and give God my listening pleasure each day, right? And maybe if I do all those things, that'll be enough for God. Listen, please hear me. And if you're taking notes, write this down. God doesn't want your enough. He wants your everything. He doesn't want your enough. He wants your everything. And not only does he want it, but he deserves it. And this is especially true for those of us in the room who claim to know Jesus Christ. Let me show you what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 through 20. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? And then he says this, you are not your own. I would encourage you, flip over to 1 Corinthians 6 in your Bible, underline that one. You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Or in other words, give to God what is God's. Now, when you look at these verses in its context, Paul was writing here about sexual immorality. He was basically telling the Corinthian church, run from sexual sin at all costs, But the truth contained in these verses very much applies to our conversation for today. Here's all Paul's saying. Hey, if you know Jesus, you can't just do what you want any longer. Why? Because you're not your own. And that's seen in a couple of distinct ways. Number one, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. If you know Jesus, Paul teaches that your body, your very body is a temple of the spirit. Your body has become sacred space. So if there are things in your life that you go, oh, I'd never do that in church, but you do it out there, Paul's going, there's no difference. Your body is a church building. And so if you wouldn't come in here and do that thing, don't do it out there either because your body is a a place where the Holy Spirit of God now lives. But then he goes on and he says, You're not your own either because you were bought with a price. And what was the price you were bought with? The shed blood of Jesus Christ. I find this so amazing that 2,000 years ago, out of his great love for you, Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven. He came to this earth wrapped in flesh. And at the end of his sinless, perfect life, he laid down his life to buy you back to God. He laid down his life, don't miss it, to pay for your sin, past, present, and future, so that the God of the universe could own you once again. I need you to understand, it is a great blessing and a gift to be owned by the God of the universe, amen? This is not a burden, it is a blessing. 
that God loved you so much that he put your sin on the shoulders of his son at the cross and he crushed him so that he could have you for himself again. What an amazing gift from the God of the universe. You are not your own. Jesus bought you. And because God uh, bought you through Jesus, he owns you. And because he owns you, look, you owe him everything. That's what Paul's teaching. You owe him everything. And so as we close, let me just ask the question. Does God have your everything? Does he have your everything, your entire life? You're full allegiance. Or is there something you're holding back from him? Maybe you showed up today and you're going, I'm definitely holding some stuff back. Uh, Maybe you're that single person in the room, that high schooler, that college student who's holding back a certain relationship from God. Because you know, if I give this to God, it's over. Because this relationship in my life is not good for me and it's not honoring him. But because I want to keep it, I've been holding it back. And I would just say to you, maybe it's time for you to finally render to God what is God's. Maybe you showed up today and, and you're that person holding back finances from the Lord. You know, this is the interesting thing about money. Um, according to what Jesus teaches, our wallets reflect where our hearts are set. Right? And then what he teaches, Matthew 6, 24, that wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. Meaning that whatever you love the most, that's what you're gonna spend your money on. Whatever you're spending your money on, that's obviously what you love the most. And so if you're not invested financially in the kingdom of God, guess what that says about your love for his kingdom? That you love it less than your own kingdom. And maybe you've been holding back, holding back, and finally today you just need to go, here's my wallet, Lord. I'm going to render to yours or to you what is yours. Uh, maybe for some of us it's going or, or serving or doing that mission trip, going overseas. Uh, I feel like God impressed this upon me this week in my preparation that maybe there'd be people showing up today who've been wrestling with fostering. I feel like we need to bring some kids into our home. Or there'd be some families showing up today who know God is calling them to adoption. But you've been holding back. God, I don't know if I want to do that. I mean, what kind of kids are these going to be? And, you know, I, I mean, I've got my kids. They're, they're, they're self-sufficient now. And they can do a lot. And I don't know if I want to start over and do all that. That could disrupt some things. But you know God's calling you to it. And so I want to challenge you today. Let today be the day that you render to God what is God's. And then let me say this and we'll pray. Um, maybe you're that person who showed up today and what you've been holding on to is your life. In other words, you've never put your faith in Jesus. You don't know him and, and you've shown up today and if you're being honest, you lack purpose, you lack joy, you lack peace. When you think about eternity, it scares you to death because you don't know what that looks like for you. And the reason you're there is because you've been holding back. God, I, I, I wanna be my authority. Um, I I don't want to give you what's rightfully yours. I want to hold on to it. And I would just say to you today, the God of the universe loves you. And he created you for a purpose, on purpose, and gave the life of his son to buy you back to himself. And so would you let today be the day when you finally, in faith, render to God what is God's. I just want to invite us right now all over the room just to bow our heads and to close our eyes. And as we do that, I'm gonna invite our prayer team to come and get in their places. Listen, if if that was you, if I was just talking to you and you're that person who knows you need a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, that you need to give him your life and faith today, then why don't you right now where you're seated in prayer, just say that to him, Jesus, 
here's my life. Jesus, I believe you love me so much so that you gave up your own life to pay for my sin and to buy me back to God. And so Jesus, in this moment, I put my faith in your death on the cross for me. I put my faith in your resurrection from the dead for me. Jesus, would you take hold of my life? Forgive me of all my sins, past, present, and future. Jesus, put your Holy Spirit inside of my body so that I can have the power I need to live the life you've called me and created me to live. Jesus, I say yes to you. Look, with heads still bowed and eyes still closed, if you just pray that with me, I wanna ask you to do me a simple favor. Just wherever you're seated, would you acknowledge the fact that you made that decision just by lifting a hand? Just wherever you are. James, that's me putting my faith in Jesus for the first time today. Just throw it up real high. We, I see your hands in the back. Thank you. Just keep them up. Our prayer team's gonna come and place a resource in your hand. And as soon as you receive it, you can put your hand back down. Anybody else? James, that's me. Put my faith in Jesus for the first time today. I'm, I'm giving God what is his. Awesome. Listen, as your heads are still bowed and, and eyes are still closed, um, I wanna ask you to do me a favor, if you will, and it might be a little strange, but everybody's gonna do it, so don't worry about it. Uh, would you just open your hands up in front of you? You can just kind of set them on your lap if you want to, but just open your hands up before the Lord. And whatever it is that you're holding back with your hands open right now before him, why don't you just begin to ask God to take it? God, here I am, knowing that I need to give this thing to you, truly offer it up. Just pray and and just tell God, God, I know you love me. And I know it is a great blessing to be owned by you, to be in your family as a son or daughter. God, I know you want what's best for me. And so just pray, asking God, give me the faith and courage I need right now to pry my hands off of this thing and to give to you what is yours. Just ask him, whatever it is in your life, just ask him right now, God, take it. Take it, help me to surrender this to you. God, we love you. And we are so grateful for your great love for us. Thankful that you gave the life of your one and only son to have us back. God, would you give us what we need each and every day to live lives that are holy and fully yours. God, we just want to say we need you to do that. And so God, be for us all that you've committed to be so that we can render to you what belongs to you. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his mighty, mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Hey, can we celebrate the Lord together? Celebrate these folks that put their faith in Jesus. Amen. Awesome.